Uh, good morning. My name is Jason. Welcome. We're glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, would you open to 2 Timothy chapter 2? That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to look at the first 13 verses of 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul is writing this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, pastoring in the ancient city of Ephesus. Uh, Paul is in a Roman prison. He is awaiting his own execution. This is a letter of lament. Paul is shoring up everything that he wants to shore up with his son in the faith before he dies and goes to glory. Timothy is receiving the, the baton, the mantle, the authority, the responsibility of ministry from his mentor, uh, Paul. So um, if you've been tracking with us we are a church that typically does expository uh, teaching. We work through books of the Bible. We started with 1 Timothy, and we're now in 2 Timothy. We will finish 2 Timothy. We'll have a standalone on Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday, and then we'll go to Titus. And so we'll spend the entire school year looking at the three pastoral letters uh, from Paul. I want to just share with you just some themes that we're gonna to see today in our text before we get there, mingling between exhortation and theology. This is always the way it is with Paul. Uh, he uh, always gives the truth of grace, the truth of the gospel, an indicative truth. This is God, this is who you are in God. And then out of that indicative truth, out of that empowering truth, he will exhort us in the way of Jesus, and then he'll spend time again centering you back in grace theology. Uh, Paul empowers us with a grace theology in our Christian witness and service. So we'll see that in the text today. There's some life imagery today, um, a, a visual picture of what he's trying to teach. He uses uh, military service. He uses athletics. He uses farming to help us understand the essential and the hard work of discipleship ministry. And then at the end, there's just some eschatological poetic flavor. Eschatological is a word that comes from the eschaton or the end. The end is the eschaton. And so when we're studying the end, specifically Jesus's second coming, new heaven, new earth, there are things for us to understand and know. And so that is verses 11 to 13. It's an action-packed text that I'm excited to spend some moments with you. I'm going to start by looking at the first seven verses. We'll talk about that, and then we'll read verses 8 to 13 and talk about that at the end. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to read verses 1 to 7, 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. Paul says to Timothy, you then, my son, term of endearment, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. 
And the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Verse 7, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. If we had to summarize these seven verses and answer this question, what is the core teaching of Paul to Timothy in these verses? What would you say is the simple way to summarize it? For me, it is this. Paul is exhorting Timothy, certainly exhorting him in Christian ministry and service. This is an exhortation to Timothy about the responsibility of his Christian ministry and service. And he tells Timothy, you must learn to endure. And so you're going to need things to endure in this responsibility and this holy, privileged, gracious responsibility. You're going to need things because it's not easy. First thing you're going to need is grace. You need grace. You need the strength of grace. You need to develop trust. You need to entrust this message with people that you trust. So you're going to need the strength of grace. You're going to need trust, and you're going to need endurance. It's easy for me to understand why Paul opens this passage with telling Timothy that he needs these three things because Christian ministry and service is hard. It is hard. It is not easy. We carry a responsibility, but it's not an easy responsibility. It is an essential responsibility. And so we need the strength of God, and we need to develop trust, and we need to understand that it will require endurance for us. I'm going to unpack these three things. And where does it all start in verse 1 for Paul? Well, it starts for Paul where it always starts for Paul. It starts with grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I'm not telling you to be strong in your own doing. I'm not telling you to grit your teeth and white knuckle this. I am telling you that your strength, and you need strength, your strength comes from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna use a slide that I have been using the last two weeks, and I keep using it because Paul keeps saying it over and over and over again. Grace always gets the first word and the last word. Grace is the truth. Jesus said this in John 8. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you, tell me, free. The grace of God is the truth, and the truth of God is grace. It's always this way with Paul. Timothy is getting infused by Paul before, before the exhortations. And I think that's really important to see in our passage. Are there exhortations in the text today? Yes, there are strong exhortations from Paul to Timothy. But before he gets to the strong exhortations and the responsibility that he carries in ministry, Paul says, you must be strong in the grace that is in Christ. This is your empowerment. This is how you are enabled to give to others what has been so freely given to you, the grace of God working in you and through you to others. And so in verse two, he begins to talk about this responsibility that Timothy carries to hold the truth, care for the truth, 
share the truth with other people. And just some background on this particular verse in my life, 2 Timothy 2.2, it's such an easy like verse reference. But there was a change that happened in my life in college. I was around, I grew up in a Christian family. I was around the church. I was around ministries like FCA. But I, I did not understand what it meant for me to be a disciple and to disciple other people. And when I was in college, I began to be trained in ministry. And this was a verse that uh, I was encouraged to memorize, 2 Timothy 2.2. And it has been a bit of a go-to verse for me for 30 plus years of my life. 2 Timothy 2.2 is a really important verse around discipleship. And this is how I memorized it. When I memorized it, I memorized it in the New American Standard Bible, 1995. The things which you have heard me say, heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Some of you may have the ESV translation. That translation says, entrust to faithful men. I am reading from the NIV, 1984, also says, entrust to reliable Men, I want to show you something from the NIV 2011 and the, and the New American Standard 2020. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others, New American Standard 2020, and trust these to faithful people. What do you notice about NIV 2011 and NASB 2020? What changed? It's not just men. It's not just men. Yeah, Lauren, <laughs> preach. It's not just men. To which I go, why did the language change? Is this just some biblical translator gymnastics that's happening to make it people instead of men? And I will tell you, in a God-honoring and in a women-honoring way, the translations were changed in the right way because that's what the Greek word actually means. The Greek word is this, anthropos. And trust and faithful anthropos, it's a generic term that means mankind, i.e. people, men and women. Why did it take so long to get there? I'm not going to spend time talking about that, but it means faithful people. Paul is telling Timothy, bro, you have been given something sacred and true for the liberation of people's lives. Entrust this message, this truth to other reliable and faithful people, men and women who will then be able to entrust it to other faithful men and women. The work of discipleship is not just to men, it's to men and women, it's to all of us. We all carry the holy, privileged, gracious responsibility, amen? It's for all of us to receive and joy and to entrust to others. When I think about this verse, I see four generations of the gospel moving forward. It goes from Paul then it goes to Timothy, and then where does it go to next? Reliable people who will then be able, able to tell others also. 
but it's not just four. When Paul is giving Timothy this exhortation about discipleship, in his mind, it's not math. It's not one plus one plus one plus one equals four. It's the multiplication effect of the, of the gospel. Share it with faithful people who will be able to share with people as well. And I will tell you, the master plan of evangelism, any Robert Coleman people in the room, you ever read that classic book, The Master Plan of, what was the master plan of evangelism, of getting the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God here and now? What was the strategy to get it to the nations? Discipleship. The master plan of evangelism is discipleship, the multiplication of faithful people holding the truth, and entrusting it to other people. This is the visual of disciples making disciples, making disciples. And that message got to me, and it got to you. A couple points on this verse. Discipleship is essential. Would you agree with that? Discipleship, teaching in the way of Jesus, raising up a new generation of Jesus followers, it is essential. It is the lifeline of Christianity. It is how the gospel ultimately got to me and you. Discipleship. Paul, Timothy, faithful people, told others also, which told others also, which told others also. Discipleship also is hard work. And we must learn to endure. It requires time. It requires teaching. It requires correcting. It requires encouraging, exhorting, and then more time. Discipleship is less about a classroom instruction. I think that's certainly part of discipleship. But discipleship is more about life on life, learning, growing, teaching, learning, walking together. It is essential and it is hard work which is why I think Paul gives Timothy these three life visual images to help him understand more. When when he's talking about enduring and the hard, essential work of discipleship, he gives him three visuals to understand it more clearly. He talks about military service, he talks about athletics, and he talks about farming, and all three images follow the command, you must endure hardship, Timothy. And because you must endure hardship, I'm going to give you these three life images. Military, service, athletics, farming. By the time Paul writes this letter, again, he's in a Roman prison awaiting his death. And by this time, in terms of the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire had secured its dominance for a long time. And if you've ever studied that, that movement and that dominance for a long time, and you read about Roman legions and soldiers, you will learn quickly there was extensive training and there was daily discipline that was enforced if you were a soldier in military service in the Roman Empire. Athletics, Greco-Roman culture, tradition, contests were highly popular, valued, It's the birth of the Olympic Games. And athletes were highly honored for their character 
and their integrity in the competitive rules of engagement. In farming, this was an agrarian society, and they didn't have John Deere green tractors. Uh, my dad has a John Deere tractor now, but my papa had a Massey Ferguson tractor. Some of you guys don't even know what I'm talking about right now, but those tractors are red. John Deere Green came along after, and my dad, like, I think my papa would be really upset with my dad. I was like, why are you not driving a Massey Ferguson tractor? But my dad has a John Deere Green tractor now. He thinks he's cool driving around that thing. My mom snaps pictures when he's just driving around the farm and just sends it to the group chat. This big daddy out there driving around his John Deere Green tractor. But in this society, no farm machinery, just arduous work that required patience and intentionality and a lot of grit. So he gives these three life images. And then in verse seven, he makes this statement that I think is interesting. Reflect on what I'm saying, Timothy, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And so I say, let's, let's do that. Let's do that here. Let's do that today. Let's, let's ask the Lord to give us some insight. Let's consider what Paul is saying. Christian ministry is the overall topic. Christian ministry, specifically discipleship. And I look at these things and I go, if we're going to disciple disciple makers, if we're going to be about this, do you think extensive training and discipline is important for us today? If we're going to be about discipleship, do you think that character and integrity matter in the teaching and the leading and the growing of the kingdom of God? Does character and integrity matter? I believe it does. I believe it's so essential. Farming, does discipleship, do we need to understand in discipling others, walking with others, caring for others, teaching others what you have been taught? Do we need to, do we need to ask God to give us patience in that process? Oh, yes. We're talking, about, we're talking about people right now. We're talking about people. Are y'all with me right now? Patience and intentionality and intentionality. I believe that all this is so relevant for us to consider today as we think about the call of God in our lives to give to others what you have been so freely given. Is discipleship easy? No. Is it essential? Yes. Is it worth it? It sure is for me. I'm so thankful that God has sent people to disciple me. I want to remind you of something that Jesus said in Luke 18. And I think it connects with discipleship and it also connects with where this passage ends today in the future reigning with Christ. And these are words of Jesus, Matthew 18, 8. Jesus said this, when the son of man comes, speaking of the second coming, when Jesus comes back, will he find faith on the earth? That's a, this is Jesus speaking this. It's a really important thing for us to consider. Would you agree? 
Would you agree that these are serious times that we are living in right now? Would you agree that Paul's words to Timothy carry important application for discipleship, the essential, hard, important work of discipleship for us in our day? I believe so. I believe so. I stand convinced that one of the commentaries that I read this week about this passage said this, it has been said that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. And while that is improbable, it is theoretically true unless the life and the faith and the teachings of Jesus are actively committed to the next generation. I have been following a pretty unique story out of a small little college in Kentucky this week. Some of you may have been following this story as well. Asbury University or College, I believe. They had a, just a, a chapel service on Wednesday last week, so like 11 days ago. And it's a regular chapel service, some worship. Somebody gives a message. They had an altar call. This guy's leading worship, and the worship that began after that message went on and on and on and on, and it's still going on 11 days later. People are using the word revival, being revived, being awakened. Time will tell. Time will tell if this is truly a revival or just a really long worship service with a lot of repentance, confession. People are getting saved. Hallelujah. But what I am so encouraged by in seeing it is young people who are hungry for the righteousness of God. And I have been praying as I've been watching this story unfold, Lord, let it sweep our nation with young people. There are other stories of these worship services popping up around the country at other schools. And I just, man, I am, I am watching it. And again, we'll see. Because a true revival literally changes people heart, their hearts from the inside out. But something is happening there really unique, a worship service that has gone on for 11 days. That doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen every day, but it's happening right now. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's look at the end of our passage, 2 Timothy by the way, if you just Google Asbury University, you can find a lot of things to read about what's been happening over the last couple of weeks. And use your discernment in the story. Second uh, Timothy 8 to 13, Paul says, basically, reflect on what I'm saying, and the Lord will give you insight into this. And then the next word is, remember Jesus Christ. Raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. It is alive. It is free. It is moving on the earth. Therefore, because God's word, God's message, the gospel, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those who will, will say yes to Jesus, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful for God cannot disown himself. Timothy, as you reflect on the call of discipleship, as you reflect on your need for the strength of God's grace and the really important work of trust and building trust and entrusting and enduring in Christian ministry, as you reflect on these three images that I've given you that I'm hoping and praying will stir up discipline in your life and character and integrity in your life and grit in your life and the hard work of discipleship in your life, remember what empowers all of it. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Really strong exhortation. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Grace on grace. The gospel of grace. Paul starts with grace, and he always does. He always does. And he moves to the exhortations, and now he is back to essential grace theology. Jesus saves us. We don't save ourselves. The resurrection of Christ provides the strongest motivation to endure the hard and the essential work of Christian discipleship ministry. And so, Timothy, when it's hard, and it will be hard, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Timothy, when you get discouraged in ministry, and you will, Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Timothy, when people disappoint you, when they betray you, when they walk away from you, when they walk away from everything that we have entrusted to them, and they will. Remember last week's text, Paul's specifically talking about how hard it's been for him and the betrayal in his own life. When people walk away, when they disappoint you, and they will, and you don't wanna keep going, Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Remember the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself every single day, lest you ever forget that is the empowerment for your ministry. I am chained, Timothy. I'm literally, I am literally chained. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of those who have yet to say yes to Jesus. There's more that need to hear, Timothy. There's more people that need to hear and know the gospel. And we need to get the gospel to them. I read these words, verses 9 and 10. In the movie that comes to my mind, a life image from me to you. Paul uses military service. I'm gonna use a movie about military service because I just, I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my gosh, Hacksaw Ridge. That's Hacksaw Ridge. 2016, the movie came out. Anybody seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? 
Maybe you'll go watch it if you haven't seen it. It's a really, really great movie, empowering movie. Um, for me, few stories are as captivating as those of people who put their lives literally on the line for another person. Greater love has no one than this, than a, than a man who is willing to lay his life down for his friends, John 15, 13. The movie is about the selfless and daring feats of a World War II conscientious objector, which just means in his own personal religious conviction, he did not want to carry a firearm, so he became a medic. His name, a true story, is Desmond Doss, and he was literally rescuing people from this ridge. It's called Hacksaw Ridge, and it's way up high, and you had to climb up this like net to get up there or rappel down, and then there was the beach down below, and he was going up and down, up and down, retrieving people who were mortally wounded. And for me, the famous line in the movie was this, one more, one more, Lord. Help me get one more. There's more. There's more that need to be saved. There's more that need to hear, and we we need to get the gospel to them. And Paul gives us vision of the end. Here's a vision of the end, the future reigning of Christ. Timothy, there's more. Like I am chained, but the gospel is not chained. And we need to get the gospel and move the kingdom forward. And it's a high calling and a holy privilege. And we carry a responsibility that is serious. And so he ends with this trustworthy saying, verses 11 to 13. It's one of five trustworthy sayings in the pastoral letters. And for me, like, if I'm reading the scripture and I come to something that says, here is a trustworthy saying, it's like, oh, might want to pay attention to this. Or when Jesus in the gospels would say, surely, surely, you know, you know, it's like, we may want to pay a little extra attention to that. Or when he says, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. Like, these are things that are like, awaken us to be like, what, what's God's word saying to me in this? This is the only of the five trustworthy sayings in the pastoral letters that is poetic. It reads more like the Proverbs. And it's eschatological because Paul is speaking about the second coming and the future reigning in Christ. Paul is spurring Timothy on in faithfulness because of the truth of what is going to happen when Jesus returns. And the seriousness, he's spurring him along in the seriousness of his responsibility to hold the responsibility. And what I want to point out to you in this it's how the saying ends. It's the foundation for the entire saying. Verse 13, our assurance comes in the last line. God will remain faithful. His covenant with us is sealed with his own blood. And the commitment of Christ to us is the foundation for how we are empowered and enabled to carry this responsibility, this 
privilege of entrusting to other faithful people what we have been given so that they can entrust it to others also. God is faithful. And with that being said, the saying also clearly communicates the seriousness of our response and faithfulness to the gospel. It requires the strength of grace. It requires trust. It requires an ability and a grit to endure. Like the hardworking farmer works in all conditions, sun and rain, cultivating the soil, fostering growth. An athlete trains and disciplines herself in all seasons to compete toward a victor's crown with integrity. The soldier goes to battle under their commanding officers day or night. All three must endure hardship. If we are going to be about discipleship, if I am going to be about discipleship, if you are going to be about discipleship and trusting others with what you have been given, we must endure and we must hold faith and courage. Life isn't easy. Christian service isn't easy. But when the gospel becomes my gospel, when the gospel becomes personal to my life and my story, something changes. Did you catch in verse eight that Paul calls, calls the gospel my gospel when I read that? Did you catch that? He says my gospel. When there is a personal, real, authentic identification with Christ and his death and his resurrection, we will be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus because we have the spirit of grace in us. Say it this way, when the gospel becomes my gospel, we move from churchianity to authentic Christianity. And there is a difference. There is a difference. Have you ever heard of the phrase, maybe in someone else teaching or a book, or maybe you heard another pastor say this, but the phrase is Christian unbelief. And it's an interesting phrase to think about because the whole reality of Christian faith is centered on belief. But it's a way to awaken people with this reality. It's been used, Christian unbelief. I, would, I have called it churchianity. It's been used to describe a self-proclaimed Christian who has assented mentally to certain, maybe many Christian doctrines, but they do not believe them to the extent that their lives are changed and transformed in the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God. I read this trustworthy saying, verses 11 to 13, and Paul is speaking to what is actually really true of who we are, what we believe, and who we are following. I really believe it's meant 
to awaken people to what they truly, authentically believe about Jesus and his lordship over our lives in the way of the kingdom of heaven. I wanna ask you an honest question. Is the gospel your gospel? Or is it the gospel? Or is it my gospel? The message of the gospel, the good news is Jesus and his grace. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. The invitation of Jesus is repent, change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is here now. We're not waiting for the sweet by and by. Like I grew up Methodist. I grew up in a sanctuary like this in a more traditional liturgical environment. We sang a whole lot of hymns. I could text my mom right now and be like, hey mom, what's, uh, what's sweet by and by hymn? I'm forgetting it. She goes, oh, that's, 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 number, that's page 354 in the Methodist hymnal. <laughs> but the reality is we are not waiting, church, for the sweet by and by. The kingdom of heaven is here and now and eternal life has already begun. And we are advancing the kingdom of heaven here now and trust and trust the truth of the gospel to reliable, faithful people who will be able to entrust it to others also. This is the call of discipleship. You too, all of us may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, hallelujah. The message invites all to come. It is radically inclusive. The way of salvation is Jesus and his grace. Will you come? Will you come? Know this, eternal life is not dependent upon your faithfulness to God, but on his Faithfulness to you. He will remain faithful for he cannot deny, disown the reality of who he is. The God of all grace. His mercy is more and there is more grace. If we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure we will also reign with him forever and ever. The supernatural ways of the kingdom of God, sons and daughters of the most high king, people who walk in the anointing and in the authority and in the holy, gracious privilege of giving this message to others. Scripture teaches us always be prepared to talk with people about the hope that you have. And I would say, open your eyes up to talk with people. I believe that the Lord gives us more opportunities than we're probably even aware of. Sometimes we just need the courage to step in and to pass the message on. Discipleship is essential. It is hard, it is not easy, 
and it is worth it to the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Worship team, you can come back up. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you that your word is not chained. It is living. It is active. And so release, I release in the name of Jesus, the liberating, freeing, delivering, healing, hope-filled, shalom, saving, sozo message of Jesus in this place for every person. Lord, would you awaken us, reawaken us, revive us by your presence, your grace, and your mercy this morning. Lord, I pray that you will find us with faith on the earth. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that there is more grace and that your mercy is more. In Jesus' name, amen.